0: The Telegraph. the Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph. Well, what a finale to the 2019 Six Nations. World crowned Grand Slam champions at Calcutta Cup match. Well, one of the most astonishing in lifting memory. And the World Cup is just around the corner so it's all play for it. With me to discuss it all is the former England and Lions fly-half, Rob Andrew. Hi, Rob.
1: Hi, Brian. How are you?
0: Okay. Well, last week you were saying there hadn't been many exciting matches in the Six Nations. I think in different ways the final round sort of made up for it. We'll go through it in detail, what each team learned, what they didn't learn. I've been asked a lot how good this Welsh side is, and my answer's been they're good enough. Anything that's come against them, they've been able to beat. And if they carry on doing that, that will also be enough. If they need to score more tries, then we we will see whether they've got the capability, the creativity to do that. But whilst you're not conceding many, and they aren't, because they've got a tremendous defensive spirit and shape both in set defence and scramble defence, very, very difficult side to beat at the
1: moment. Yeah, and look, they fully deserve to win the Six Nations. Gatland was pretty brave at the start, wasn't he, when he threw it out there if, if they win in Paris, they're going to win the Six Nations, win the Grand Slam. He said. Half time in Paris in that first game, we were all shaking our heads, not knowing what on earth was going on with with France sixteen nil up. No, this is a good Welsh team. They're on a fourteen match unbeaten run, A bit like England's eighteen match unbeaten run under Eddie. They haven't played New Zealand in this run, and whoever is going to win this World Cup in in, in September October. Are going to have to find a way of getting past. Yeah, New mind Zealand. you, Ireland
0: beat New Zealand, and look how it turned out for them. This six. Yeah, nation.
1: and and I think that's that's one of the one of the interesting things, and one of the things we're probably still all scratching our heads around this Six Nations, and and perhaps in the autumn is which team is actually going to put a consistent enough run of form together over the next sort of six months. And it is Wales at the moment. New Zealand probably still are the team that somebody's going to have to get past. But going into this World Cup, I don't think they're quite as invincible as perhaps they were in the, in the last, arguably the last two World Cups. So somebody has a real opportunity to go and grab this World Cup by the scruff of the neck. And Wales at the moment in the Northern Hemisphere, on the evidence of the last six weeks, are the four Northern Hemisphere Well, sides. When you
0: concede seven tries in five games and only two in the second half, you're always going to be in a chance of winning, aren't you? Particularly when the penalty count is low as well they're disciplined, they're well-led. And it is interesting because in terms of star names, you can point to a few players and you can also then point to other teams in the Six Nations that have better regarded players. But the aggregate is the thing that counts in the end and they've got, they've got a very solid front row. Alan Wynne-Jones is, is one, if not the best second row in the world at the moment. Their back row is clever. Yeah. Football, their footballing back row, they can take the ball forward. They're very competitive. They've got three or four options at halfback, which they can interchange. I think in Davis, they've got a, one of the best outside centres, certainly defensively. And the back three in various permutations. Liam Williams is a, is a star. And although the players who come off the bench, they're not well-known names outside Wales, particularly because they haven't, been in big tournaments before they all come in they fit in seamlessly and this is the point when they've been making substitutions there's been very little discernible differences that's not been the case elsewhere
1: no and that you know that's the great credit to Gatland and the coaching team isn't it and and what Warren is very very good at is getting the best out of a group of players and that's what rugby is it's about a group of players coming together not just the 15 but the 23 or the 30-man squad that goes away and everybody knowing and, and looking comfortable with their role. He's done it with, with Wales for a long time. He's, he's done it with two Lions tours and gone to New Zealand and, and drawn with, with New Zealand on a Lions tour. And that's his great strength. And obviously, on the back of a defence, and everybody talks about winning World Cups with defence. Sean Edwards has been there, done it. So they are putting together a group of players that, that are going to be difficult to beat. Technically and tactically, they look as if they're in good shape. The belief is the other big thing. And the belief, and we'll probably get onto that psychologically, where are different teams psychologically? He's instilling a belief inside, and, and Warren seems to be able to do that alongside the other coaches. Uh, and that becomes a potent threat. One or two players to come back in, out to make his way back into the, the group as well. And you touched on something there, which I no doubt we'll talk about quite a lot this evening, is leadership and Alan Wynne-Jones, who is probably the form second row in the world. There was a little feeling in 2017 on the Lions Tour that maybe he got to the, to the edge in 2017 on that Lions Tour, but he's, he's come back and this whole leadership debate, and he's just has been a colossus.
0: But I was also saying, people think that leadership, where are the leaders is there? And they look for people who are shouting, look for people who are talking. And yes, that is part of it. But you can lead by making the right decision, by making the right pass, by not making the pass you know that isn't on, you know, by taking the right tactical option. You don't need to be shouting about it. You know, In players like Ke- uh, Ken Owens, you know, in uh, players like Navidi, uh, Davison at the back as well, you've got players who are doing the right things. That is as much a question of leadership as anything else It doesn't have to be talked about it doesn't have to be said
1: i mean you just said it there it, it's about making good decisions it's about making the right decisions under pressure whether that's you know what line out call to call in what part of the field whether it's a kick or run what sort of tactically do we need to do in the next few minutes do we need to drop a goal do we need to go to the corner do we need to kick the points are we all on the same page Wales look like they're all on the same page. They're comfortable with what they're trying to do. They're not trying to you know they're not trying to set themselves out to score the most tries in the championship. They're not trying to be something. They're just there to try and work out how to win the next game, yes. which which actually is what it's all about and find find a way even if they're not playing particularly they didn't play particularly well against Italy with a albeit with a bit of a second team. They didn't play particularly well up up in Scotland. But actually They've, they've got this ability to just find a way of getting over the line. And in the end, that's the only thing that matters.
0: We know everyone is still talking about, is it Anscombe? Is it bigger? To me, it doesn't really matter. That's up to Warren Gatlin, depending on who he wants to start, whichever game he wants to play, because you've seen that both of them come in and do what they do, provided they get the order right, provided they play to the strengths of the person who's occupying the thing at a time and when they want them to. It doesn't matter.
1: I think this is becoming a really interesting debate now and probably one that that England are going to have to try and sort out and Eddie's going to have to deal with because, you know, how many fly halves do you need in the squad? And if one of them's not going particularly well, as perhaps the England one wasn't on Saturday, and you've got another one on the bench who, who didn't get much game time in this Six Nations in George Ford, and they've played a lot together under Eddie. Now Eddie's gone down the road of Owen, who has been outstanding, but... There is a horses for courses. There's, the game is very tactical within the game now, and what 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 Warren has done with Anscombe and bigger, he's mixing and matching. And England have got an issue now around whether Owen is the is the only guy that plays fly half. He's the captain. We're back to a similar issue with with when Dylan was captain, but he ends up coming off. So this this whole captaincy. Leadership fly half position I think is a, is a big challenge I think it's it's hard on Owen to be captain and fly half uh, if you look at captaincy historically the leading sides that have perhaps won World Cups um, I know Nick Farr Jones and David Kirk captain that's from scrum half in those early World Cups but but a lot of forwards captain World Cup winning sides second rows hooker John Schmidt number eight back row you know and it's I think it's it's hard for someone like Owen, who's got so much on his plate, to actually lead the side as well. Well,
0: we'll let's stick with Wales. I mean, Sean Edwards, Robin McBride, the backroom coaching team, they're not often talked about, but they must get huge credit as well, mustn't they?
1: Huge. Yeah, Rob Howley, who Howley, who, who often you often know, gets a lot of stick. Actually. does often get a lot of stick, and has the, and often been handed the team when Warren's gone off to do... Uh, do the Lions, and, and, and it's not always easy in that particular assistant role to step up. But Wales have stuck with the group. They've uh, Warren is clearly in charge of that group. They're a very tight-knit coaching group. They're going to take some bluming replacing for Wales, that is for sure. That, you know, whoever steps in, Warren has been there 12 years. I think with that coaching group, pretty much the whole time. Well,
0: has the been there 13. Yeah. Um, Sean Edwards, for a lot of it. What do you think Sean Edwards will do next? <laughs> Well, Could do anything
1: does, he wants, does, really. <laughs> does Sean know what he's going to yeah. do next? Clearly, he's thrown a few. Uh, he's, he's thrown a few things out there this week. He obviously hasn't signed anywhere, and this whole scramble for coaches, and it's almost starting now, long before a World Cup. You know, so Ireland have already made their decision. Wales have made their decision in in Pivac. A, you know, all, over a year before the World Cup. England, you know, what's happening with Eddie post the World Cup? Warren's just going to sit there and, and probably have six months on the beach after the World Cup, and then
0: see what comes. Yeah. Question from George Thorpe: Are the Welsh players smarter than England? No way. They would have let a thirty-one point lead slip. This is not an academic question, is it? But in game terms, yes, they are.
1: I think that Welsh rugby, Welsh rugby players have always been rugby smart, and a lot of this, a lot of this that we're talking about is is about being rugby smart. What what is happening? In the moment, what is happening in this game that we need to just do now in the next ten minutes? How do we need to play the game tactically? And I think that that is probably the most worrying thing from England's perspective. When it's all going well, and when when it's going to plan, and they're on the front foot, whether that's with ball in hand or kicking behind as they did against Ireland and France, it just doesn't seem to be that ability on the hoof. And it's not always easy, this as, as we know, but it. On the hoof, just to go, whoa, hang on a minute. Let's just have 10 minutes, either in the corner or keeping the ball a bit closer. Whenever things have started to unravel, nobody seems to be able to change what they're doing.
0: Well, We're going to speak to Rory Underwood specifically about England, but let's let's move on to England. Let's not discuss the game itself, because we've got Scott Hastings on later uh, as well. But these questions that arise out of that, I mean, the news has come out that Eddie Jones wants them to work with a sports psychologist because he believes there are sequali as far back as 2015. Now, bearing in mind, only a few of them played in 2015. Now, I don't think this has got anything to do with it, frankly. And I don't think it's a psychological issue at all. I think it's a tactical and a rugby issue. What do you do when you can't play on the front foot? I tell you what, it's a bit, I mean, you're, you're in charge of uh, Sussex. It's nice to me, a bit like the England cricket team. We play this way, full pelt, and sometimes... When it doesn't come off, we don't know what to do. But yeah. that's that. We back ourselves, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, Fine. We've got to keep winning. Two times England have come under real pressure, both in the second halves against Scotland and against Wales, haven't been able to reset. And it's a simple variety to be able to say, look, tell you what, for 10 minutes, let's catch a line out. Let's drive. Let's pick and go. Let's just go around the corner simply. Let's tie the game down. If we're going to kick, kick it really long. Make them drop out. But don't let them, don't give them opportunities. Make them tackle because you get penalties if you're going forward and so on. Just to, It's not killing the game. It's just setting yourself back when momentum is against you, arresting that. Because if you then indulge in the form of the air and, scare and stuff, when you get a turnover and you immediately fling, then nothing changes. And to me, they don't seem to know what to do. When they're on the back foot, I know that they – I was speaking to Andy Robinson about this. We're talking about the England training sessions. He's been to a few and said, you know, it's a chaos thing where they are playing at high tempo all the time, and having to make decisions under pressure all the time at high tempo. Yeah, understand that. Fine. What they really need at the moment is to play on the back foot when they've got slow ball, when it's more difficult
1: to do this. When Eddie first came in, when he won those 16, 18 games on the trot, a lot, he went back to being everything was about defence and set piece going back to one of the traditional English strengths because he felt that in the World Cup in 2015, the team had had tried to, a bit like they're trying to almost head to now, a little bit loose, uh, a lot of uh, unstructured training. You've got to be careful as a head coach where you take the team, mentally as much as anything. But you, you set up training and they clearly set up certain things this season, the kicking game to start with against Ireland and France. Then they couldn't change from the kicking game in Cardiff when it wasn't working. And and it almost now just looks as if they've decided they're not quite sure tactically what, they, what their go-to game is. And that's the difference with Wales, who are very clear on what their go-to game is. The thing for England, from, from what I can see, is it's all there. They could actually choose whichever game game they want to but what the head coach has to do and the coaching team have to do is just give them that a variety in training to mix it up not always being helter skelter and unstructured just like don't always be set piece orientated and and kicking the whole time because then you can't break out of that and and that england they've got the players to do that they play it different ways in their clubs so they can all catch and drive if they need to they can kick chase they can move it when it's on but it's just doing it in the right time. I haven't
0: seen them, certainly in this tournament, be able to play on the back. But look, it is difficult to play on the back. It is difficult to restart when you're getting ball flat and so on. But you're going to have periods against good teams where that happens. It's simple. And you've got to find a way.
1: You've got to find a tactical way, whether that's, that's through the boost or whether that's through driving or whether that's through picking and going and carrying really hard into the heart of a defence, whether it's straight up the middle of a defence or whether as Wales did in Cardiff, which was really noticeable in the first 30 minutes. Wales pretty much did nothing but pick and go in the first 30 minutes in Cardiff to get inside the England defence, who'd come up and smashed Ireland and, and smashed France. I mean, not that that was difficult. But Wales tactically, I think, caught England slightly by surprise in Cardiff. And they just, so there's a tactical shift. And, and it's not as if England can't do it technically because they've got such skillful and powerful players. But it's almost as if they're not set up tactically to, to do the variation in their game.
0: Well, one of the things that will obviously help is having consistency in selection. And This is just one issue and one player. I cannot understand this. I want to shield Joe Dokkena senior from hype. I was watching last night footage, after bits, after bits, of Jonah Lomu, who, as we know, yeah. only just made the 95 World Cup yeah. and shouldn't then exploded. He should have
1: been there. He, was, he only got there because of injury, Yes, didn't he, he did.
0: And no question of saying, oh, tell you what, we'll just keep you in the background. No, off you go.
2: Yeah.
1: I
0: can't... What, what, what is the point in impact substitutions? Ben Teo is a starter or not. Or, you know, he comes and shows... He does what he does well at 12. But he's not the man... To settle the of Ford is, Ford is he's, he's a different player. That's, a, you know, from, from Farrell. He's different from everybody. It well, makes no sense at all to me not having the 23. None whatsoever.
1: Coaches, they get themselves into, you know, almost their own psychological situation, psychological warfare. And, and you sometimes wonder whether Eddie's just sort of almost overthinking things sometimes. And, and, and if you're not going to start Fock the Seager, at least have him on the bench. So you, he comes on with 20 minutes to go. And, and we saw the impact that George had. Scrum half thing, we haven't worked out what's happening with the, the sort of impact scrum half. When, when the first scrum half tires, the scrum halfs tire. They have to do so much running in the modern game. And it's that use of the bench, when to use it, how to use it. What is the
0: point in bringing three subs on with seven minutes to go? What's the point? How much of a game can you get into in seven minutes?
1: Yeah, well, it was all, well, that's where the clarity of the head coach is so important, isn't it, now in this modern game? And it looked as if, and it sort of looked as if it was panic at the end. I mean, England England had lost the game. I think everybody at Twickenham, them. They thought, we'd all thought it had gone. Gone from 31-7 up and losing the second half 31-0 until the 84th minute. <laughs> it's inexplicable.
0: Well, here's someone who might be able to explain it, us. The former England and Lions wings on the line. Rory, hello. Come on then, explain it.
3: People came to me, kept coming to me after the game saying, oh, England are lacking leaders. They're lacking leaders. And you could see, you know, the current team with their leaders, good or bad, in different purpose, interpretations, trying to get the lads to stop doing all the mistakes they're doing. The number of mistakes and penalties and all the different things, which just a team like Scotland in that particular um movies they were in we're going to lap up and take advantage of and in some ways you know just listening to you robert's talking there about you know why the seven minutes to go and that, you could argue that ideal time was to actually bring the change in at that particular point after a couple of tries try and a slow the game down get a couple of new people in and just get people to rethink and plate the script because people just went off off piece did their own thing individual things and uh it just compounded it and it just felt like that 15 minutes went like in like one minute. It was just sucking towards a black
0: hole. It was horrendous. I don't know if you heard us talking about Joe, um, yeah, talking to senior. Yeah. yeah. What, what's your view on his omission? I sort of got why he wasn't in the
3: 15, but I completely agree with you as to why he was in the, 20, in the 23 completely. I think Jack Knowles had a good season. I think uh, Johnny May's obviously been outstanding. Joe had a cracking game, albeit uh, against Italy. But yeah, I'm not. I'm not a big fan of the. We want to save them to play 100 games. You know, they can do that throughout the season, I suppose, to just one particular they, game. They so. might get
0: injured next week. Who knows so what they're going to play on? Yeah.
1: I don't. I just I don't, don't, I don't understand that yeah. at all. I mean, we talked about it earlier, Rory, in terms of Eddie sort of sometimes just trying to overthink things and yeah. almost be yeah, too clever so. yeah. for the sake of it, and just we still, we still not. It's getting closer, I think, in terms of the starting 15, maybe but we're still not 100% clear on you know who's going to come off the bench and how tactically might we change things up a little bit the the whole sort of shift of George on and Owen to 12 which i i still think is a very powerful combination towards the end of a test match if if things need to sort of change either either with the two playmakers or or two kickers depending you can have them both there and play completely different types of game depending on what is actually required.
3: I think, Brian, you said it before, you know, it's a simple game, but crikey, you know, us people, we like to complicate things. I agree with you, Rob. I think, yeah, not far to from... You know, I think what, what we've seen in the last year is that there is a lot more clarity around sort of the, the 30 players that will go and there's a handful of players that have got to be decided, but you see some real depth and positions. At the end of the day, we're talking about should uh, Joe be in, in the team or on the bench. But that's three quality wingers and we've got a handful of people who you know, unstritten cast, Anthony Watson comes to mind, who, you know, haven't been even talked about. So, you know, we've got depth in in a lot of positions. I think what we're all scratching our head around is with this Six Nations now, because there's no real games, there's warm games, which are really, you know, not ideal. It's just getting yourself back into match, match fitness again for the World Cup. To really find out what the patterns are and what the, as you say, you know, the impact of the strategy of bringing people off the bench. These are the sort of games that is the ideal time to try that out. Because now we've got four three, four games wherever it is, before we, we go and plan the World Cup, which really should be sorted out by then.
0: Rory, it is very difficult to reverse momentum when things are going, you know, badly yeah. wrong. But good good sides find a, a way to do that. What what would your approach have been? Say you come out second half, they score early. So you've still got a comfortable lead, but Hasn't gone well because you conceded either side of half time And you can tell that something's not quite right. Well, in, though, in those circumstances, what do you think you do?
3: For me, there's two things. A, get Rob with his kicking hat on as opposed to his running hat on. And, and you play the kicking game and play for position. And you also, I remember the time we, we used to call that keep ball call, we used to call, where when things weren't going quite right. He said, right, let's just keep it simple, keep it tight. Don't do anything that gives them the ball easily and freely. And just keep you know slow the game down from that perspective and stop them running around uh, causing havoc. They thought as if they could carry on doing the same game plan, but um, sort of an extra factor on top of it. So trying a few things that were sort of a bit more risky of trying some of the things that you know it's like when when teams are coming like that at you, sometimes that's not the time you need to do that. You need to just recoup, consolidate, settle down, try and go through a five minute spell, go through a five minute spell where they don't start causing your problems. And then they've got to try and change the momentum. Then you slow things down. And that's what it called out for. But still doing that, I mean the Finn Russell's interception on the halfway line. So is that the move you should be doing the halfway line? And of course the way they ran the move, as soon as it was intercepted, there's no full back there because everything just flat. Pips people complain about kicking. I don't I'm not too you know, if something kicks are too long, that's fine, they kick it, it goes long. They're not gonna run from their twenty two, they're gonna kick it out, so we can reset. But I think some of the choices and the moves that have been done, we've got to sort of think it should have been a tighten the batches down, the batten down, uh, hatches down with the batten, and try and just stop them having that run around mad and, and causing us problems.
0: Rory, we've got to leave it there, but great to speak to you. Thanks very much, mate. Cheers, guys. I imagine that some people, when they hear that, and I agree with it, and not necessarily the terminology, when people say slow it down, oh, that's tedious, it's old, it's a, we're not talking about not Going for chances if they present themselves. You know, if you happen to be driving the ball, a gap opens up, and you can do, you know, then you've got to finish it. That's the point. What we're talking about is making sides do what they don't want to do when they're in the mood that Scotland were in, you know, wanted fast turnover ball, wanted it loose.
1: That's, that's exactly- make them
0: graft for ten minutes, make them do things where they are highly unlikely to be able to create chances. Because A, you've got the ball and B they're going to tackle.
1: That's exactly the point, isn't it? You just said it there. Make them do things that they don't want to do. What England did was they. And look, this. We haven't really spoken about Scotland. Scotland deserve an awful lot of credit for the way that they played in the second half. And and they, when given those opportunities, as we have seen for the last two years under Gregor, and when Finn Russell is on fire, how good is Finn Russell as well? Well, when he's on fire, you know he he's 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 unbelievable. Um, but what what you don't do as an opposition, is allow him to get on fire. You actually, <laughs> you, you want to squeeze him. You don't want to give him broken field play. You don't want to give him poor kicks. You don't want to turn the ball over in contact. You don't want to be playing fast and loose when people are not in, in the right positions or, or it's just not on to do it. You actually want to be getting Billy Vunabola running straight over the top of All it. Or you want to, you
0: coming back on an, on an angle. To it.
1: So, But you're making, what what we did, we sort of kept playing in the way that Scotland wanted us to play, which in some ways was a little bit how we played in Cardiff in the second half as well. We sort of kept playing in a different way. And this is the sort of this, which England are we? Because in Cardiff, we kept going down a kick-only route, which we'd done really well against when it probably needed us in the second half in Cardiff to say, right, we're 10-3 up at halftime. We're in Cardiff. We've doused the fire. We've got to keep the ball in hand a bit more. Let's have a real go at this Welsh team. But we just kept kicking it to them. Against Scotland, we did kick it a bit in the second half, but we were loose with the ball. And that's what the one thing you can't do against the Scotland team is be loose with the ball. Poor kicks, turnovers, bad passes. And the whole game just broke up. And then defensively, we're at sixes and sevens. And before you know it, and fair play to Scotland, their finishing was, was, was unbelievable from yep. 50 yards, most yep. of the tries.
0: Why don't we get a Scottish perspective? I'm sure he'll have something to say. He always does. He was there at Twickenham. It's Scott Hastings, former Scotland and Lion Centre. Hello, Scott. Thanks, Brian. Two Scotlands. Tale of Two Scotlands.
4: Unbelievable, wasn't it? <laughs> game of two, <laughs> the old egg. Oh, oh. game of two halves. What, um, what do they
0: need to do to ensure that the second half Scotland? appears more often?
4: Uh, no. What was the catalyst for Scotland's second half performance? Without any doubt, it was the attitude of the players. They increased their intensity in the second half and they gained a little bit of parity, first of all, over an England team that had been absolutely dominant and had uh, uh, crucified Scotland, not only at the breakdown, but in the way they managed the game. And it was like a role reversal, wasn't it? That suddenly Scotland came out of the box. And I think, the the, the, the more the game went and became more fractured that allowed Scotland to play this high tempo fast attacking game and when you had Ali Price at the halfback position teasing uh, England's back row, finding a little bit of space and then Finn Russell who I thought varied his game really well from a kicking game to his wonderful deft of hand to his accurate passing, he actually opened up the English defence well and uh, what a remarkable turnaround but if there's one thing that Scotland failed to do, it was actually to win the match. You know, there is seven that minutes, point, yes. Seven, seven points ahead, four minutes to go. You've got to win a game of rugby, then. So, but I think both teams will learn a lot out of this, Brian. You know, England um, from the fact that they've, they've stuttered on a number of occasions when in a commanding lead, um, and Scotland know that um, any, any performance which is drops off the intensity of international rugby, they will not win rugby matches i tell you what, they, they,
0: the big thing for me in the red time try that they conceded, and it's been a problem all six nations of Scotland penalties. Scotland have given a lot more penalties away than they traditionally do. I, I don't know the explanation necessarily, but that final move by England was extended twice because they got penalised twice. And obviously, if someone's going to take it from you, make them take it. Don't give yeah. them anything. If they're yeah. good enough yeah. to run, you know, the whole length of field, whatever, then fine, you've got to put your hands up. But don't give them the extra
4: bits. And the key key area, you know, in the modern game is the contact and the collisions. And I watched the game back this afternoon and there was two uh, penalties. Uh, The first one, um, which was on that halfway line where England kicked to the corner, it was Fraser Brown, the replacement hooker. He was told to let go of the ball by the referee. He was in a good position to start with. He then, you know, forced the penalty decision, and he actually uh, was penalised right under England's posts. And you know, had Scotland maybe conceded that try uh, out wide with when Jack Noel went for the corner, then potentially Ford would have had a much more difficult um, kick at goal. But you're never going to do that in the heat of an international. You're never going to give up a try. You're going to defend your in line with every bit of accuracy. And you know, I know Rob Andrews alongside you. In Last year, Brian, we spoke when when Scotland had outplayed England in a similar sort of high tempo game at Murrayfield, and you know Rob was you know very um, complimentary to what Scotland had done. But there's always this little doubt. Yes, they could raise the game against England time and time again, but I think if you look back at this championship for Scotland, just so many errors, penalties, missed tackles have counted against them.
1: One of the things that I've found interesting watching this whole. Tournament, and it's probably it plays a little bit to Scotland. Is on, on, their, on their moment and, and on, on any point in a game, all of these sides now have got some really good players, you know. And, and actually, it's almost a question of can you maintain a level of intensity for a long, the longest period of time? And, and England were very intense in the first half, and Scotland didn't bring that intensity, and then it swung completely in the second half. And and once Scotland were able to play and they brought more intensity, they've, they've all got good players. So I, I can't quite in my own head work out what it is that England and Scotland need to bring. Because the one thing that Wales have brought to this championship, and the one thing that Ireland brought last year, was a consistent level of intensity, yeah. which Ireland have dropped off. There's no question, you know, yeah. there, there's something just gone a, a bit awry there. And that's if Scotland could find that, for longer periods and stay in games. They've got so many good, aggressive, skillful runners. They're a hard side. Yeah,
4: absolutely. And on their day, as you said, they can beat any team in the world. I think, And I genuinely think that. And that's why it opens up the Rugby World Cup. The Six Nations is always a talking point of the game, isn't it? And for me, the key in terms of uh, England, Wales and Scotland and Ireland, you know, uh, uh, you're very much from the home nation point of view, is that if they get the collisions right, that is really important. Now, if I can give you an example, Scotland, when they played against Wales, came up against a very dogged defence and England were exactly the same. And what happened was that the Vunapolas, the, the big carriers like Curry, uh, like they started hitting the same angles. But it's when you vary the angle of attack and get on the outside or the inside shoulder, you begin to splinter a defence. And Ireland did that very well last year. Now remember, when Ireland opened up the championship last year, they played forty-one phases of play um, to secure Johnny Sexton's sort of drop goal, and, and and that kind of set the president there. But they weren't going anywhere because a it was slow ball, but b it was chucking it down the rain. They were hitting just man you know man on ball. It was bes- Pick, pick and drive, pick and drive. But the modern game is about changing angles. And as the game become fractured on Saturday in that second half, the players were able to exploit those um, defensive frailties in the English defence. What Wales are so good at is they cut down that opportunity um, by flying in the outside channels. But, you know, with Navidi playing so well for Wales, with Alan Wynne-Jones and their front five carrying the ball so well, you know, Wales were probably... You know, the, the, the most consistent team at the collision point uh, and in their defensive chores. So, you know, as, as we move through this sort of a friendly uh, period of rugby, when they move into the warm-up internationals pre-rugby World Cup, it's about teams sharpening their game plans, learning from their experience in the Six Nations. And, hey, I reckon it's one of the most open World Cups as we go into September, October, later this year.
0: Scott, uh, very quickly, final question. Uh, overall, going into the World Cup, are you more or less positive than when the Six Nations started?
4: <laughs> From a Scotland perspective, I'll say a little bit more. Um, the beauty for Scotland is uh, they've got they've got a pool that um, they open up in a match against Ireland. And for me, that's that's absolutely key, that Scotland win that game. Because if Scotland go through the remaining games against uh, Romania, Uruguay and uh Russia, um, uh, Samoa, um, and there's one other kind. And there's a certain Japan. Japan. Japan, Japan. They've got to win the final game of the pool stage against Japan. Now, if they lose the first game against Ireland, and Japan also lose their game against Ireland, but win all the games, then a quarterfinal place at stake between Scotland and Japan um, is at you know is at stake. And and on paper, you give it to Scotland. You know, literally all the time, but. You never know, funny things. But Scotland should rise above that. So, as I said, I'm a little bit more optim- optimistic. So, we'll see what happens.
0: Scott, oh, great to speak to you again. Thanks as very much, else,
4: mate. As always, very good.
0: Don't want to leave out Italy and France. Uh, I wouldn't have minded leaving France out, actually. But uh, the, I, think,
1: I, I think, just, think we're exasperated. I don't know. We?
0: Well, look, I mean, this is going to sound really terrible, but, but it's not because I want a, a strong France team. The game needs
1: a strong France team.
0: The game France. needs a strong okay. France team. They've got. Good young players. God knows, I, I I just do not know what they work on in training. I have no idea.
1: Not very much I, I, by the by the look of it. It it is. It's a worry for the World Game, really. And it, it, and it's, they they've just got to. I mean, they're classic. They'll probably go to the World Cup. The coach will still be there because they won't sack him. The players will will remove, will sort of move him aside during the World Cup. Um, yeah, they'll probably play quite well again. Play Quite well, which is what normally happens in French World. What Cups. you
0: can't do. I mean, they're saying, look. Um, we've got lots of young, good young players. It's in France next time. You know, uh, that's our time. You don't know
1: that. No, and, the, and they've, they're sort of chucking all the cards up in the air, aren't they, and seeing yeah. which ones land. And Brunel's selection has been all over the place. They changed coach during a World Cup cycle, which they they never do. Guy Noves went halfway through the cycle, and it hasn't made any difference. In some ways, it's probably made it worse. But it's just, I mean, it is a, it, we're exasperated and flummoxed by it, to be honest. And it's not good for the world game. I mean, France are one of the superpowers of of world rugby and should be. Um, And actually, we're now talking and have done all through this tournament, apart from that first half against Wales in in Paris, where we're almost not even bothering talking about Italy and France. It's almost like the after show. You know, Italy, France, they played each other. And then we said it last week before the game, does anybody actually care? Does anybody care? what? And that is awful. That's awful for Italy as well. And that's a danger for the game. But for France, a, a superpower, who I think are now well, certainly well behind England, Wales, and Ireland. And, and probably Scotland, you know, Scotland's had a lot of injuries this, this tournament. But you wouldn't, you know, France, they're not even in the top four in the six nations. It's ridiculous.
0: Well, Ireland won three games, the same number as England. But I do think from where they were expected to come from from the form last year, that they will be very disappointed notwithstanding that. Why don't we speak to Alan Quinlan, former Irish player of distinction. He can give us some sort of insight into uh, matters. Hello, Quinlan. Brian, how are you? I'm okay, mate. Look, we were talking earlier on. What we can't work out is where the notable... And this was the consistent factor in 2018: the intensity of Ireland's performances. Whether it was in defence, whether it was kick chase, whether it was doing whatever they did, they did it with sustained intensity. How has that seemingly dissipated?
5: I, I think it goes back to the English game, Brian, where they were caught—they were caught and physically uh, outmuscled by the English, and tactically they were—they weren't very good that day in England's kicking game. As you say, one of Ireland's big strengths in the last couple of years has been their kicking game. I think they didn't cope with pressure. They've had to carry that tag of, you know, probably the unofficial best team in 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 world rugby. And I think obviously that that lifts the opposition. It makes them pretty bring a huge amount of desire to try and knock them off their perch. And it's difficult in Ireland haven't coped with that well. So I think it's down to inaccuracies. Uh, it's down to maybe. Been a couple of percent off around their desire, their intensity. And um, they haven't become bad players overnight. I'd still say this, there's a lot of headlines this week or today and yesterday that this team is finished. I don't think so. Um, you can't go from the highs of 2018 this quickly. Um, they just haven't coped with pressure. And I think they've played, the four teams they've played, the five games they've played in, they've experienced a different type of pressure where the opposition have tried to stop them. Particularly around the kicking game and stop any sort of momentum over the game line. And they haven't figured out a way of coping with that. Now, they have made a lot of changes throughout the tournament. And Joe Schmidt has been criticized in the past, in 2015, when they won the tournament, that he didn't experiment enough. So he did experiment a fair bit. But some players he has faith in and has had faith in let him down a little.
0: When you're talking about the form of the halfbacks, they are so important because. They're world-class when they are actually fit on form, firing, and so on. I, I just wonder this. Obviously, the European stuff to go for them to 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 get game time and find form, but they're only warm-up games now. And I just wonder where they will manage to find this because it's it's an elusive thing. I understand the point you make about only being as good as the stuff in front of you, but one of the most impressive things to me about the pairing is... The two they've been able to cope with almost anything that's been thrown at them back foot or front foot, and I just didn't see them sparky. And, and do you think there's anything more to this, or am I perhaps reading too much into it?
5: I think the worst thing that's happened, Johnny Sexton, is getting world player of the year. <laughs>
1: I think <laughs> it's like he, it's like getting he, manager he, of the month, isn't it? You get sacked the next <laughs> month, yeah, it is, Rob. And and look, I, I the guy is
5: so driven, and sometimes he drives himself in, knots, trying to keeps such high standards. And I think, you know, he's he's encountered, he's always been under pressure. You know, everybody's always tried to target him and get at him and hit blaze. blade. And he's had a fair bit of pressure throughout this whole tournament. And, you know, I think frustratingly, I think for this group of players, they've uncharacteristically as well started to make mistakes. Like the Italian game was, was the biggest example of that, where, you know, it was a game that they were, Everyone was hopeful and probably predicting that they'd win quite comfortably by 20, 30 points. They struggled, and some of the mistakes and the errors and the timing, the passing, the timing of some of their passing was really poor. So I think it's a mental thing, maybe, with Johnny as well. He hasn't a lot of rugby plays. He played for Munster against Leinster as, uh, on the 26th or 7th of December. He didn't play again till the English game. Um, it's a long period to be out. And I just think he he needs games, and I think a lot of people are saying, "Well, Murray Sexton needs to be dropped now." And I don't know. I just don't think. I I think we need to see a little bit more before before you can back up that I, statement. I think.
1: I think Alan, um, we were we were saying at the start of the tournament, you know, that I mean, this time last year, Connor Murray and, and and Johnny were the half two best halfbacks in the world, and they came into this this year's tournament undercooked, and and I think one of the things that. I've, We've seen with Johnny and with with Owen, is they're so competitive as fly halves. I mean, I mean, they've got the mindset of of back row forwards. To be honest, they, they'd yeah, be in there fighting sure. with you if they could, and and actually they they're both so competitive and so desperate to win. Um, and when things aren't going well, they want to go and fix everything, and and they can't. And I think they both need. to, And it's easy to sit here and say this, and you know, I always felt that Johnny Wilkinson was a little bit like that at times as well. You know it, it, they they're so competitive that somehow they just got to learn to back off a little bit and and let other players around them do what they're supposed to do because they both slightly get a bit lost when when things aren't going well um, and both at times this season England and Ireland have both got themselves in poor situations and and th- those two have, are sort of trying to be one man bands fixing it and it's it's not possible. I, I, th- I think it, you know. I agree with you. I think Ireland will regroup, and I think Wales, England, and Ireland out of this competition. I, I think they've they've all got things to fix, but I th- I think that Ireland and England will will come back alongside Wales and and be a force in the World Cup.
5: Yeah, look, it's um obviously you've got to analyze what you see in front of you, and there's a lot of negativity here. It's it's, it's unbelievable. We're brilliant as, as Irish people. <laughs> of knocking our own it's incredible for small country it's the negativity i just cannot believe it because some people don't realize the detail the effort level the small margins the little decisions that go against them small little inaccuracy and maybe carrying that pressure as well and okay you can argue and say well they're supposed to be world-class players these guys and they need to carry the mantle but i do agree and i think it's a very relevant point that they probably put too much pressure on themselves and that probably inhibits their performance a little bit then. So like one of the things I would say, if I was chatting with Joe Schmidt is, is try and, you know, dust yourselves down after this and, and smile a little bit and, and learn from it. Um, I think they need to be a little bit more cynical and in, in the opposition face and go toe to toe with opposition a bit. That's been an issue throughout this tournament where they've been bullied. So they've got to figure that stuff out pretty quickly.
0: Well, and we're going to leave it there, but uh, I, I agree with you. Look, you, It isn't as simple as you don't become a bad team overnight, but I tell you what, to look at Ireland, it's a small margin from a small twist of the prism before they get back to where they were. Whether they will do is a different matter, but it's certainly possible. So I think everyone ought to keep a bit of perspective. Thanks, mate. Cheers, Brian. Well, unlike their male counterparts, the England women's team, the Red Roses, had a handsome lead at half-time against Scotland, but didn't let it go. In fact, they ended up 80 points to nil. It was in front of a record crowd of over 13,000 straight out of the men's game at Twickenham. And we're now fortunate and privileged to speak to the Grand Slam England winning captain and number eight, Sarah Hunt. Hello, Sarah.
2: Good evening, Ryan.
0: First of all, congratulations.
2: Oh, thank you very much, It's uh I don't think it's finally sunk in yet. I think it's going to take a little bit of time now. We're sort of out of camp to to sort of look back and reflect on the whole tournament.
0: Well, look at the results. 51-7 Ireland, 41-26 France, 51-12 Wales, 55-0 against Italy, 80-0 against Scotland. What was your standout game?
2: There's probably been elements in each game. I think for us going and winning um, against France, was really important for us and important for how this tournament would, would finally finish up, I think. And and the manner in which we um, went about in the, in the first half um, to sort of put the game beyond them um, at half time and up in Doncaster. I think that was a spe- special, uh, 40 minutes. Um, but then going down to Sandy Park and playing in front of 10,500 people down there was, was just a- another level really of, of seeing where the women's game has got to with the the crowd coming out. And and then to finish on Saturday, I've won a few um, Six Nations, but I've never been able to win a Grand Slam at the home of English rugby. And I think that that will be um, pretty special and will live long in the memory for, for a while, that's for sure.
0: I know what my answer is to this point. I'd like your comment on the point that some people are making like, and I'm sure you've heard it, well, you're all professional. You would expect this. What can you expect from other countries, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera?
2: We're very fortunate now that we we get to get to be professional. Um I, I don't think um the contracts have been around long enough for for people to be able to, to to use that as a reason why why we won um this tournament and won in the manner that we did. We they haven't really had too much extra time than we would normally have. Yes, we've had, but the rest that is um, really important, especially in tournament like Six Nations, which is um, spread out over a number of weeks. But I think it's probably the the couple of years that have gone before, with our, our new domestic competition that we have with the Tirals Premiership, and the professionalism around the support in that um, that around the structures of the coaching, the, the physio, the S and C, that has developed us as players to allow us to play at another level that we potentially haven't been before. And yes, that's been backed up now with these professional contracts. And, and for me, that, that's a huge reason. It's the quality of rugby we've played week in, week out, before we got to the Six Nations.
0: Well, uh, you're too diplomatic and you're probably in the wrong position to say this. So I'll say it for you. You can only play what's in front of you if the other people haven't got off their arses and put their game in order. That's their fault, frankly. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and they've got to, you, you, if, if, if they want to catch up, if they don't fine, don't do anything about it, but England will go their own sweet way. The, this, this point, though, it isn't ideal for you to, to be winning games by such big margins, much better if you're tested continually. What can you do when this is happening? You know How can you try and get to the point where you, when you come into the games against New Zealand and so on, where they're much tighter? That you have the discipline, you have the winning mentality, and you don't do what the men did when they came under pressure, which was implode.
2: Yeah, so our, our coaching staff um, like do a do a great job. Obviously, we manufacture different circumstances in, in training um, by obviously now 20, 28 full time contracts, seven like elite playing squad contracts as well. So we managed to have a good level of competition against each other when we train. We've trained um, a few times against men's teams as well obviously not for full contact but in terms of we've done set piece with them we run run against them in opposition and the speed in which they play makes us have to think differently um, and a lot faster about what we do and how we play so they try and provide these situations so regardless of who we play that actually we're we're able to put ourselves um, and manage ourselves under pressure so when the big games do come along, um, whoever that is against, then we'll be in a in a position to do that. And I know England rugby are putting a good competition programme in place for us between now and the World Cup in 2021 with with summer tours, with autumn internationals. Um, we've obviously got the Barbars game in, in the summer, which is really exciting. So there's lots of different ways that they're, they're really trying to ensure that we get a good level of competition.
0: Well, as I said, Sarah, you can only do uh, as much as you can at the time you can, you've done it all. So, once again, congratulations! Thank you very much for making England
2: proud. Oh, thank you very so much. So,
0: the Six Nations is over. Wales have won a deserved Grand Slam. Does that mean they can win the World
1: Cup? No, look, no, it doesn't mean they can win the World Cup. But it, it well, does... they can win it. Well, they can win it, but it doesn't mean they will win it. No,
0: and, and... no one would be foolish enough to say They've... their team will, will, will win a World Cup.
1: No, and uh, I, you know, I, I think. When, when we started out, England had to play Ireland away and Wales away. and Wales had Ireland and uh, England in Cardiff. The three best teams we all felt were England, Wales and Ireland. And, and we weren't really sure who was going to win it. Most people probably had their money on Ireland going into the tournament. Uh, but Ireland got rocked really badly in that first game against England and they've never recovered. Wales on the back of... A poor performance in Paris but a win meant that they had the two big ones at home and and they, they effectively won it against England in that second half. Um, and that's great credit to Wales. They deserved to win it uh, in the second half. By the time they got to Ireland, we all thought...
0: I think the momentum was almost inexorable,
1: wasn't it? I think it was. I think we all maybe felt that we were, as Englishmen, we were probably wishful thinking that Ireland might turn up and produce a bit of a performance, but they never really got out of the blocks. And Wales peaked well. They timed it well uh, and fully deserve it. And, they're you know, they're on an unbeaten run. So I I think Ireland have probably gone backwards. Wales have gone forwards. I think England have probably stood still in a way. I think they've had some outstanding stuff. And then there's this other stuff that we're all sat there going, oh, no, there's like we can undo this in 20 minutes. We can do some amazing stuff. But there's this bit, and that's the bit that, that Wales... Wales are the most consistent at the moment. And actually, in the end, winning World Cups is about consistency of performance, week in, week out, good defence, players being comfortable in their roles. So when the pressure comes on, your default is, is not one where you, you get lost. Your default is that you're very comfortable with when um, the pressure's on.
0: My, my final comment, I, I agree with that in respect to the uh, two Celtic nations you've My final comment, I reiterate the point. It is a bit like the England cricket team. This is where we play. When we do it, we're great. But when you go to the World Cup, test matches, not T20s or one-dayers, you've got to adapt. Simple as that. All we've got time for tonight. Thank you for listening. Thank you very much to my co-host Rob Andrew and to my producer, as always, Abby Patterson. Please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done already. Leave a review, then we can tell other people about it. But for now,
5: goodbye.